wanted to give a compliment to the children. They were literally sitting on top of each other. Uh, many temptations then to elbow each other, get off me and stuff like that. They were not doing that and uh, were, were very well behaved. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we uh, give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to understand your word so that we may know our Lord Jesus Christ even better and follow him wholeheartedly, we ask in his name. Amen. Now, I had, uh, had Mark read this passage, um, verses 21 through 38, but later in the week I decided to only preach verse 21. Uh, when I got up to six points in this sermon, I should have known at that point that... Uh, I was I was being over ambitious. So we're just going to look at verse 21 this morning. As we begin our passage, Jesus is only eight days old. Only a week earlier, the angels had filled the skies over the fields of, of Bethlehem during the early morning hours after Mary had given birth to Jesus. The Magi had come bearing their gifts. The shepherds had left their flocks to come and worship the newly born Messiah. And then after being counted in the the census, Mary and Joseph would have traveled uh, the 80 miles or so back to their hometown of Nazareth for Jesus to be uh, presented before their hometown priest in order that Jesus could be circumcised. Verse 21 presents for us a, uh, a great question. I imagine there are those of you who are asking why Jesus needed to be circumcised. Indeed, Jesus was circumcised. Look at verse 21 again. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The question is, if Jesus was not sinful, why was it necessary that he be circumcised? Well, there are three reasons. First of all, Jesus came to earth to fulfill all the blood rites of the Old Covenant. The Day of Atonement was a very bloody day. It was a very bloody um, uh, rite um, and ritual. Uh, the Passover, again, very bloody ritual. Uh, the daily sacrifices, animals were killed daily. And then, of course, uh, circumcision. All of these things involve the shedding of blood. Why was the shedding of blood necessary? Well, all these bloody Rituals were pictures. They were illustrations of the cross where Jesus Christ would shed His blood as the Lamb of God. The drops of blood that, um, that were shed during Jesus' circumcision pointed to the stream of blood that would flow down His pierced body to make atonement for our sins. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says that um, it is the blood that makes atonement. 
Hebrews 9.22 expands upon that verse and says, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus was circumcised to point to the fact that His blood was going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Our salvation was obtained through the grisly, the gory, the bloody death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We put on our Sunday best clothes when we come here to church. We put on our Sunday best manners as we uh, gather together to worship. We act very proper and refined as we praise God. It is easy to fall into the trap of believing that Christianity is a sanitized religion where only good people gather. Uh, and they gather because we're the ones who figured life out. We figured out how to have orderly lives. And so we gather together to offer sanitary worship. Christianity is not sanitized. We are sinners. We do things every day that are not pleasing to God. Every one of you, myself, my family included, has sinned against God today. Underneath our Sunday clothes, underneath our Sunday best manners, lies the ugliness of our sin against God. No good works can cancel out our sins. No good intentions could ever uh, clear away our guilt. The only way our sin can be purged and completely cleansed from our soul is by the bloody sacrifice, the gory death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. There's no way into heaven. Uh, there's no way to obtain eternal life. There's no way to have a relationship with an eternally holy God except we be covered and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of Christ's blood in your behalf. That's the reason why Jesus went under, under the knife as an eight-year-old, or an, I'm sorry, an eight-day-old infant. To point us to the fact that His blood was going to be shared, shed for us. But that's not the only reason. The second reason why it was necessary that uh, Jesus be circumcised was to fulfill all righteousness. This, in essence, is the same reason why Jesus needed to be baptized. Remember uh, how John the Baptist was reluctant to be baptized by Jesus, and he said to Jesus, No, don't baptize. Uh, I'm not going to baptize you. John the Baptist says, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus responded to John, telling him to baptize him because it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Why was it necessary to fulfill all righteousness that Jesus be circumcised? In Genesis 17, God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham and Abraham's offspring. In Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14, God is very explicit. He's very detailed in His command to circumcise every male offspring in Israel. 
He said, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So my covenant uh, shall be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. A careful reading of verse 14 says that if Mary and Joseph failed to circumcise Jesus, that Jesus would be the covenant breaker. Mary and Joseph's faithfulness in obeying the command um, to circumcise their child fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Had Jesus not been circumcised, he would have been cut off from his people. He would have been considered a covenant breaker. Our Lord Jesus Christ is in every respect without sin. From eternity, Jesus was holy. He's completely removed from sin. But he loved us so much, however, that he left heaven To come into our world. Our world that is filled with sin. Our world that is filled with evil. He who is too holy to look upon sin. Chose to live in our world. With sin all around him. In the very thick of sin. For 33 long years. And he did it. In order to save sinners like you and me. Often while he lived here on earth, our Lord Jesus not only lived in the midst of sin, he was the object of sin. The religious leaders poured out their hatred toward him as they plotted his death. The population of the people cried out again and again, crucify him, crucify him, as they chose Barabbas, the murderer, over Jesus. As contrary as sin was to Jesus' nature, living in the midst of sin was not the worst. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that Jesus became sin for us. Listen closely to this mind-blowing verse. It says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. Why would Jesus consent to that? He consented to become sin, as it says in the passage, for us. Such was His love. To be sin for us. To be sin for me. To be sin for For you, for all you who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross, the sinless Son of God became sin for sinners like you and me. You know, Easter's coming up. 
We spend a lot of time meditating on the death of Christ on the cross. He was viciously, mercilessly uh, whipped prior to then being nailed to the cross with these large spikes through his hands and through his feet. A crown of thorns was pressed down into his skull. Can you imagine a crown of um, thorns from a bougainvillea bush wrapped together, pressed and pushed down into your skull, to your skull cap, so that it is firmly seated there. And then our Lord Jesus on the cross for each breath he had to push down upon those spikes that were in his that were holding his feet to the cross he had to push down on them his flesh would rip the pain would have been unbearable as as the spikes pushed against his bone and he had to push down in order to get every breath that he took while he was on the cross. It was a terrible way to die. But far worse was the agony of his soul in becoming sin. Jesus did not lay aside his holiness in order to become a human being. Yet on the cross, Jesus Christ became sin. He became sin to be a sin offering. Every sin His people have ever committed was laid upon Him. The sins you have committed today were laid upon Him 2,000 years ago. The most rank and heinous sins you have ever committed were laid upon Him. The sins you have yet to commit were laid upon Him. And because... He became sin in order to be a, a sin offering. God the Father struck him. Isaiah 53 tells us. When our Lord Jesus was crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father turned his back on the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus had become a sin. He had become a sin offering. And in turning his back on Jesus, he struck Jesus. He struck him a blow that was commensurate with the justice that, that we deserve to have struck against us. All the fury, all the wrath of God's holy justice directed towards millions and millions of people's countless sins was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. From very early in my walk with Christ, I believe that the most unjust event that has ever happened was that Jesus was assigned to the cross by Pontius Pilate and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But now I think it, is, it was far more unjust that the guiltless, the innocent Jesus became sin to stand under the wrath of God. But He did it to spare us from God's wrath. It's the greatest, the greatest act of injustice was at the very same moment, the greatest act of mercy that has ever been enacted. 
in order for Jesus to be sin for us in our place on the cross. He had to be sinless for us here on earth. Mary and Joseph, their faithfulness in having Jesus circumcised was an important part of His sinless life. The law of God had to be fulfilled in every respect by Jesus Christ, even when He was a helpless babe. In in His every thought, in His every word, in His every action, in His every desire and motivation, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, every law and command of God. When Jesus went to the cross, He was the Lamb of God that was truly without spot, without stain, without blemish from sin. And He was that spotless Lamb of God until He embraced all our sin to be sin for us. There's another side to Jesus' righteousness that I must mention. We are all born into this world as guilty sinners because Adam's sin, because of Adam's rebellion against God by eating the forbidden fruit. Adam forfeited the righteousness that the and he forfeited righteousness for the whole human race when he sinned against God. His one act of sin was a breaking of of the covenant that God had made with Adam and through Adam with all humanity. By His one sin, we all forfeited righteousness. But by Jesus' perfect, by His sinless life, Jesus did what Adam failed to do. Jesus earned for us eternal and spotless righteousness. The righteousness... Um, that Jesus Christ earned. There's no shadow, no stain of sin present at all. Jesus then gives us His perfect righteousness. Our righteousness is never adequate. Our good works are never good enough. Jesus gives us His righteousness as a free gift of His grace. When we place our trust in Jesus Christ, a transaction takes place. Jesus takes our sin and gives us His righteousness and gives us His forgiveness. He takes our sin, gives us His, His, His perfect holiness and righteousness. So that not only are our sins forgiven, but we have the perfect, the full, complete righteousness of God. In Jesus Christ, if you belong to Him, you are guiltless. Regardless of what you've done today. Regardless of what you've done in your past. Regardless of what you will do in your future. The Bible says if you belong to Christ, you are guiltless. And then the positive side, you are perfectly righteous. All of Jesus' righteousness that He earned by His his perfectly righteous life is given to you in total, completely. You are fit for heaven. You are fit to have a relationship with God. You are fit to be a child of God. 
Because Jesus has taken your sins and has given you his righteousness. No matter how powerfully, no matter how continually your conscience may accuse you. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are justified. You are righteous in his sight. You are completely and eternally loved by God. Your sin will never stand between you and God because Christ has already taken it and he has dealt with it and he has given you his righteousness. The question is, do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you trust in him? Do you have His forgiveness and His righteousness because you have placed your trust in Him rather than in yourself? Your salvation is more than having your sins forgiven. In fact, we talked about this in Sunday school. The whole Sunday school class was about this. You also need to be made fit to stand in God's presence. You need to be made to love Him. Uh... In Ephesians chapter 2, we learned in Sunday school, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, which means you are by nature, Ephesians 2 verse 4, children of wrath. Your nature is to hate God apart from Jesus Christ. Your nature is to reject God, to live in rebellion to God. You need a new nature. And so that's the third reason why Jesus was circumcised. Circumcision points to the cutting away of our old nature, giving us a new nature, giving us a new heart that loves God. Circumcision points to regeneration. You don't believe me? Listen to how the, the Bible defines circumcision in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. God says... Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. The Israelites were stubborn. And God's saying, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Be regenerated. Stop being rebellious. Or Deuteronomy chapter chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and that you may live. Prior to having their hearts circumcised, they weren't loving God. And God's saying, I'm going to circumcise your heart in order that you may love me. In other words, I'm going to regenerate you. I'm going to take away your old, rebellious, stone-cold, dead heart, and I'm going to give you a new heart. As he says uh, in Ezekiel 37, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God, a heart that delights in God's law, a heart that reaches out and embraces Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, the apostle Paul said, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. And the Jews were were trusting in their heritage. They were trusting in the fact that they were born as Jews. And God says, the Apostle Paul and God says, don't trust 
in outward appearances. Don't trust in outward rituals. The outward ritual of circumcision, the cutting away of the flesh, is a picture of your regeneration, of your need to be made new in Jesus Christ. So verse 29, Paul continues, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, God's saying, you need to be made new. What is your nature? Is your nature to serve the perverse trinity of me, myself, and I? Are you your chief God that you serve? Are all your priorities revolving around yourself? Or is God your priority? If you are your priority, you need a circumcised heart. You need to be born again. You need for the Spirit to make you a new creation. You need the Spirit to give you faith. You need the Spirit to give you regeneration and repentance. It's not something you can do yourself. The only way you can circumcise your heart is cast yourself down on the mercy of God and say, do what I cannot do for myself. Give me faith. Give me repentance. Give me a love for the Lord Jesus. Give me a hatred for my sin and my selfishness. Give me a hatred for my my love for the world. Draw me powerfully and completely to the Lord Jesus. If you think that true faith is just half measures, well, I'll take a little bit of Jesus, I'll take a little bit of the world, that means that you are a complete unbeliever. Cry out to God. He promises to to circumcise your heart, to give you a new heart in Him. So our Lord Jesus Christ needed to have a circumcised heart. I'm I'm sorry. We need to have a circumcised heart. The Lord Jesus had His foreskin circumcised to tell us that He, by His death, by His resurrection, was going to send His Spirit to give us exactly what was promised in that... um, that bloody right that he was going to um, give us a new heart, a new life in him. So my, my final question, my plea, my earnest exhortation to you, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Are you, have you entrusted yourself to Him? Are you loving Him every day? Are you repenting of your sins? Don't leave here today without doing business with God. Trust Him. Love Him. He's done everything you need for salvation. As we pray together. Lord Jesus. It's a remarkable thing that you submitted to circumcision to be 
a faithful and merciful high priest for us to sympathize in every way with your people. To show your connection with us. To show the even deeper truth that you came here into this world, God and man, to be sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. We thank you for your great love for us. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.